Welcome to the KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast Series, delivering fresh insights and perspectives around major accounting and financial reporting developments across a range of timely topics. We thank you for joining today. Welcome, everybody, to the Pillar 2 pregame show, a podcast series where we discuss the new rules in plain English and provide you with practical insights based on our own real-world experience that you can use to prepare your organization before things kick off in the first quarter of 2024. I am your host, Nick Tricarci, and over the next five episodes, I will be inviting our firm's foremost experts to give you a crash course on all things Pillar 2. At the end of each episode, I ask those experts to put on their coaching hat and give our listeners advice on what steps they can take to actually implement these new rules. So you're going to want to make sure you stick with us. On today's episode, we are going to be covering the blocking and tackling. How does Pillar 2 work? Which countries are actually implementing it in 2024? And who within your organization should be involved? Then over the next four episodes, we will help you simplify the game. First, by discussing the transitional safe harbor that's available. Second, by explaining the full-blown Pillar 2 requirements and why they're so challenging. Third, we'll navigate the accounting and audit implications. And fourth, we'll end this series by looking into our crystal ball of how things will evolve over the next few years to help you prepare now. But what I'm really excited about is that we are planning to host a bonus Ask Us Anything mailbag episode at the end of the series where we will answer questions submitted directly by you, our listeners. Are you dealing with a specific Pillar 2 issue that you want our take on? Do you want to hear more about a topic that we didn't cover? Or maybe you just have your own really great football or other pop culture analogies to explain what it's like to implement these new rules. It is all fair game. But we can only do this if you send in your questions. So please don't be shy. It's super easy to do. Just go on the podcast website. There's a form you can fill out. I promise the whole process will take less than a minute. And while you're on the website, please check out our Pillar 2 game plan publication. It is packed full of practical advice on how you can tackle Pillar 2. And it's a great tool to use within your organization to make sure everyone's on the same page. Okay, with those plugs out of the way, let me introduce our first guest. And I couldn't think of a better person to kick off this podcast series with than none other than the guru of Pillar 2 himself, Marcus Heeland. Marcus, welcome to the pod. Hello, thanks for having me. Nice to have you. I know you're a busy guy these days. Marcus is a principal in our Washington National Tax Practice. And he's the go-to guy for all things Pillar 2 uh, in our firm. Did anybody else call you the guru of Pillar 2, by the way? No, Nick, you are the first. <laughs> all right, well, let's see if we can't get that to stick, Marcus, after this episode airs. All right, let's get started. Before we get into Pillar 2, some things just always bug me about when we talk about Pillar 2, which is what the heck happened to Pillar 1? Is there a Pillar 1? What's going on with that? Yes, there is a Pillar 1. It deals with a different type of policy concern. It's more of a transfer pricing issue, and it also applies to a different group of companies. And so there's, I don't think, as much urgency around Pillar 1 now, and the focus is really on Pillar 2. All right, so I'm not crazy. There is a Pillar 1. Hopefully some of our listeners had the same question, but you know, be aware of it. It's out there. Make sure you're monitoring. But let's get to the main event, which is Pillar 2. Marcus, can you give us a plain English overview of what Pillar 2 is and how it came to be? 
Sure. So pillar two is pretty straightforward to, I think, get your head into. What it's doing is it's trying to establish a country by country minimum tax rate. So what pillar two establishes is it says for every multinationally operating business, you now need to pay at least a 15% rate of tax on your adjusted financial statement income in every jurisdiction that you have operations in. And so for a company that operates in, say, the UK and Australia and Ireland and the US, what this regime would require is it would require you to say, well, what's my financial statement income in those four jurisdictions? What's my tax expense on that income in those four jurisdictions? And to the extent that any one of those countries, say, for example, Ireland, the income earned there was, say, viewed as being taxed at 10%, then this regime would say, well, you're taxed at 10% in Ireland, the minimum rate is 15, and so that 5% shortfall would then cause the company to pay an additional amount of tax, in this case, 5%. So simple concept, country by country, minimum tax, where the agreement was a 15% rate, and then the base is financial statement income. Okay, so once this fully goes into effect, no matter where you do business, you're going to be paying 15% minimum tax in those jurisdictions. That's the intent. Okay. So when we were talking the other week, you mentioned something that kind of stuck with me. I wanted to ask it on the pod. You said 15 is the new zero. What did you mean by that statement? So today there's a number of jurisdictions that do not have corporate income tax system. And so income earned in those jurisdictions could be taxed as low as 0%. Now, for U.S. companies, there's a number of U.S.-level rules that would still be likely applying to that income. We have our guilty rules. We have our subpart F rules. But at its most basic level, today, it's possible to have income tax at a 0% rate. Tomorrow, when Pillar 2 takes effect, that every stream of income in any jurisdiction is now going to be viewed not at zero, but now at at least a minimum rate of 15%. So I think that's the very high level way to contextualize this is yesterday income could be taxed as low as 0%. Tomorrow income in a jurisdiction is now going to be subject to a minimum rate of at least 15. So based on how a company has structured its operations and entities, this seems like pillar two could have a very significant impact on the cash tax that that company will now be paying once the rules go into effect. So this all sounds very complicated. Anytime you talk about a globally implemented regime, I always wonder, how is this going to be enforced? So can you talk about that a bit? So the the way that, back to the example I used to illustrate, where we had, say, 100 of income in Ireland, and we had you know an assumed effective rate there of 10%. And so that was then leading to this 5%, and let's just say it's $5 of additional tax that's due under this pillar two framework. The enforcement mechanism really takes the form of various charging provisions or rules that are designed to make sure that in every case, in every structure, that that five is collected. And the way that that works is you essentially have three different rules that are designed to apply to make sure that that five is collected. The first rule is called a domestic top-up tax. What this is doing in this example is it's allowing Ireland, which is the jurisdiction where the assumed low tax income is arising, to step in itself and collect that five. 
Okay, and that's the most likely outcome is that domestic tax will be stepping in and collect. Now, where the enforcement comes in is if Ireland does not implement a domestic tax, now that five hasn't been collected so far. And so there's two additional rules in this design that say, well, because the local country hasn't collected it, now we need to make sure some other country collects it. The second rule is called the income inclusion rule. That gives the parent jurisdiction the right to step in and collect the five. Okay, So if the local country doesn't collect it under the domestic type of tax, then the parent jurisdictions can collect the five under the so-called income inclusion rule. Now here too, what if the parent jurisdiction doesn't implement the income inclusion rule? So now we've passed the first two and the policy hasn't been enforced because neither the local nor the parent has collected the five. And that's where the ultimate enforcement mechanism comes in, which is the third rule called the under tax profits rule. What this rule is doing is it's saying, well, there's five of tax due under this framework, but no one has collected it yet. And all this third rule does is it just says that five is going to be allocated to every other country that that multinational has operations in. So in my example, that was, I think, the UK and Australia. That tax would be allocated to those jurisdictions, and it would then be payable to those countries, assuming they had implemented this under tax profits rule. So that's the enforcement mechanism is it's designed to be a watertight system. You have kind of three interlocking rules that are the intent of which is to make sure that in every circumstance and every structure that the five in my example is always collected. Okay, that's super helpful. And, you know, it seems like there's layers to this. There's three layers almost. And I always think in football terms, that's how I understand things. And so to me, it seems like that local tax, the Ireland stepping in, that's kind of like the defensive line. Ireland's in the trenches. They're the closest ones to the income. But if you get past them, then you go to the linebackers. That would be the parent entity. And then the last line of defense, you know, is the secondary. You've got the safeties back there making sure you know, the offense doesn't make a big play. And that's this under tax profits rule, this backstop measure. So with all good defenses, you know, pillar two also seems like it's going to be switching up its coverage over the next couple of years, because from what I understand, not all of these countries that you've talked about are going to be implementing the rules at the same time. So I thought I'd ask about the implementation status by referencing one of my favorite TV shows when I was a kid, Carmen Sandiego and ask you, where in the world is Pillar 2 right now? Yeah, so the general agreement globally is that there's the three layers that you mentioned, the three charging provisions. The first rule, these local top-up taxes, will take effect in some countries next year, so to take effect in 2024. It'll take effect in a greater number of countries in 2025, so for that particular rule, we're seeing some kind of segmentation between some jurisdictions are implementing that rule to take effect you know, next year, others are waiting an additional year. The second rule that I mentioned, that parent country measure, the income inclusion rule, that will take effect in a large number of jurisdictions next year, right? So there's a 2024 effective date for the income inclusion rule. And so that rule will be effective in a large number of countries around the world in just a few months, starting um, the first of the year, 2024. You then have that the enforcement mechanism, the third rule, the under tax profits rule, that is scheduled to take effect in 2025. So you have sort of a general timeline of 2024 effective dates for the first two rules, 
2025 effective date for the under-tax profits rule. But as you said and alluded to in your question, at the individual country level, you could see differences. So for example, Ireland is likely to have a domestic top of tax that takes effect in 2024. Singapore is likely to have a domestic top of tax also, but not effective until 2025. So there's a general timeline, but then there's no substitute for actually looking at the individual country's plan for implementation and seeing what the effective date is at the local level. Okay, so punchline seems to be, this is going into effect on January 1st, 2024, just to be clear, for a large number of jurisdictions around the world. So for our listeners, given that these are being implemented jurisdiction by jurisdiction, it's evolving over time, really critical that you understand your legal entity org chart and where you have operations around the world and whether those jurisdictions are implementing one of these, you know, two or three provisions in the next few months or so. So we have in the game plan publication I referenced at the top, we have compiled a list of jurisdictions that we believe as of, you know, today are likely to implement in that first quarter of 2024. So check that out. But as Marcus said, there's no substitute for monitoring at the actual country level. So we also have a resource to help you with that. We call it our state of play document, which is available on our website. And it basically walks through each jurisdiction around the world and what the pillar two implementation status is. And we update that periodically as things change. So Marcus, where does the US stand in all of this? So the United States is actively participating in the development of the Pillar 2 rules, and that is done by our U.S. Treasury Department. In order for the United States to implement the Pillar 2 rules, that would, of course, require U.S. Congress to pass legislation. And with the current composition of U.S. Congress, it's unlikely that we'll see any Pillar 2-inspired legislation in the current Congress. And then whether a future Congress implements some aspect of Pillar 2 is, of course, dependent upon future elections. But with that being said, I think the important point for U.S. companies is despite non-participation by U.S. Congress, U.S. companies will still be impacted by Pillar 2 as other countries around the world implement the rules. And in some ways, U.S. companies are even more impacted because not only do they have to sort out the Pillar 2 rules of other jurisdictions that are applying to their income, they also have to figure out how the existing U.S. rules like guilty and subpart F interact with those Pillar 2 rules. So despite non-participation by the U.S. Congress, still a big impact for U.S.-based multinationals. So, okay, we've met the defense. Let's introduce the offense, Marcus. Who within an organization should be on the team to help implement these new rules once they go into effect next quarter? So I think Pillar 2 is interesting in the sense that it's a tax rule, but as we've described, the way that income is measured and also the way that tax expense is measured for purposes of doing that effective tax rate calculation that's really at the center of Pillar 2, it's based on financial accounting concepts. So I think just to start, you're going to need tax folks involved. This is a, you know, a tax rule, but then there's a heavy reliance on financial accounting information. And so that brings in oftentimes a broader stakeholder of folks within a company, including the controllership and other pieces of the finance organization. So I think within tax, Pillar 2 will impact the whole tax function. So clearly there's a provision impact here. So you'll need to start accruing for the effect of Pillar 2 from Q1 of next year. 
there's a compliance impact. So for the compliance people within a tax department, a big element of pillar two is the compliance of the administration. So that's a big impact. There's a planning. So folks that are focused on planning, pillar two is the key thing to now take into account for acquisitions and other kinds of structuring. There's a big technology element. So for companies that have tax technology group, that's a big element of just finding the data and structuring the data in a way that can go on to the necessary forms. So it impacts, I think, the entire tax function. And then within finance, as I mentioned, tax is oftentimes not going to have all the information they need in order to do the calculation because a lot of the financial accounting information that feeds the calculation will sit in ERP systems and accounting software more generally. And so there is a strong need for collaboration across tax and finance. All of those folks will be impacted by this. And I think best practice for most companies is to have a kind of an overall project manager to identify who are the relevant stakeholders within the company to deal with this calculation and to you know, have an overall project management function just to keep all those stakeholders aligned between now and when Pillar 2 takes effect. This sounds like it's a truly cross-functional project that that's going to span not just tax, not just finance, but IT as well. You know, given how data intensive the calculations are and how data intensive the compliance is going to be, I think a lot of companies are going to look for opportunities to get as much out of their systems as possible. And so IT could be critical uh, in that regard. So again, I'll use my football analogy. It seems like tax is quarterbacking this process. They're going to be taking the lead. They have to know the playbook, what everybody's role is. Accounting, finance, and IT are going to be the ones they can hand the ball off to to help kind of push it down the field. And then any kind of new process that's going to impact the financial statements, such as Pillar 2, you're going to need to make sure you have good, solid internal controls and processes in place and that you're complying with all the rules and regulations. And so I think internal audit and legal will also come into play from a... Mm -hmm governance and protection mechanism. And with any football game, you need someone to referee it. And at least from the financial statement perspective, which is where I spend all of my time, that's going to be the external auditors. And we don't need to get into that. On today's episode, we actually have a, a whole episode dedicated to the audit considerations around Pillar 2. So please make sure you stay tuned and listen into that episode. Okay, let me get you out of here on this one, Marcus. I'm going to ask you to play the role of coach. You're coaching a company who's getting ready for Q1 to implement it in the first quarter. What advice would you give our audience to make sure that their organization is really best positioned to successfully implement this in the first quarter? So not the whole full implementation, because that's, you know, we've got four more episodes dedicated to that, but how does somebody get off on the right foot? Yeah, so I think the first thing is to just get started as early as you can. So we're already in late October. So I think the first recommendation would be to get started as soon as you can. Then I think the first step to take is to take the company's org chart and identify and you know list out all of the jurisdictions that the company has operations in. So think of an Excel spreadsheet with every jurisdiction down the, the rows. Then I think the next column is, is that jurisdiction likely to be subject to a pillar two rule in 2024. And that comes back to where we started, which is, well, which countries have implemented which rules and, at, and what's the effective date? What you'll likely find is that most of the jurisdictions that you've listed 
will be subject to Pillar 2 in 24, either because that country itself has implemented a domestic top-up tax or because the way it's held in the structure is through, say, a Dutch holding company or a UK holding company that has an income inclusion rule in effect. But there will likely be jurisdictions that are not yet subject to Pillar 2 in 24. So that's the first thing to do. And I would describe that step as just scoping your organization to determine which countries are going to be in scope from next year. I think the next step to then take is to apply the safe harbor rules. And this is designed to allow companies a more simplified calculation for a three-year period. You can run the safe harbor calculation to determine if the jurisdictions that you expect to be in scope are likely to be eligible for that safe harbor in 24. If yes, then the process is much easier. So the compliance is easier. There's no provision impact for that jurisdiction. And so I think it's important to determine safe harbor eligibility for every jurisdiction that is in scope in 24. For the jurisdictions that are not eligible for the safe harbor, it's there where you've got to do the full detailed calculation. And there, I'm sure you'll be coming up on future podcast as to what all is involved in that. Yeah, no, it's the perfect segue because episode two is all about safe harbors. And as you just mentioned, that could be a significant relief, at least temporarily for companies, both in terms of having to pay the tax and also having to account for it and report on it from a compliance perspective. So I imagine a lot of listeners will be interested in what that safe harbor is, how do you qualify, et cetera, et cetera. So we will be covering that on our next episode. So please make sure that you listen into that one. And like Marcus said, we'll get into the full-blown calculation a little bit later on for any jurisdictions that you don't qualify for. So with that, Marcus, thanks again. Really appreciate you being on with us and, and walking us through the landscape of Pillar 2 to kick us off on this five-part series. So thank you. Happy to do it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast. For more in-depth financial reporting developments, analysis, and podcast episodes, please visit frv.kpmg.us and be sure to subscribe today. Also, we are social. You can also follow us on LinkedIn at KPMG Financial Reporting View or with hashtag KPMG FRV.